Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday. Today, we're going to talk some USC Trojan football with Dan Weber, beat writer and columnist for uscfootball.com. We're going to take a bunch of questions today. If you have any questions for us, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can call or text. Our number is 424-254-9141. That's 424-254-9141. You can find us on iTunes, itunes.com slash peristylepodcast. Uh, that's our dedicated URL for iTunes. You can also find us on Google Play and Stitcher Radio and TuneIn Radio and Audio boom, a lot of different ways to find the show. Please leave a positive rate, uh, rating for us, some positive feedback. Five star rating would be great. Tell your friends about the Peristyle podcast. We're, like I said, our 10th season talking about the USC Trojan football team. And we're going to welcome in Dan Weber. Dan, what's up, man? How you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Looking forward to this week. Uh, glad we're home. Uh, you know, prime time, but I didn't know this. Uh, it's the first time ever Utah is on a uh, primetime ABC uh, game. Oh. And uh, although they've been on, I think, 15, is, if I remember the notes correctly, 15 ABC games, they're like 14-1 and one in their ABC games. So uh, that's uh, probably a good stat for the Utes. The bad stat for the Utes this week is their last win in Los Angeles came in uh, 1916. So uh, for you math challenge, that's more than a century ago uh, <laughs> since they won in L.A. Wow. So uh, that was way before uh, the Coliseum. That was, uh, I think, Fiesta Park is where USC was playing home games then when they got beat the last time by Utah. So always fun to look at some of those, uh, some of those uh, way out there stats. So this is a, this is a good week to, to do a little bit of that. Fiesta Park. Wow. Um, so that's before. So if people don't know that's we, the podcast has been around a long time, uscfootball.com, 20 years, but not as that long. We've not been around to cover Utah's uh, last win in Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, and, and I, and the one other thing I think, uh, USC fans do remember the first ever Pac 12 game was USC Utah at the Coliseum. First, first game when they, uh, and Utah uh, to become the Pac-12. The first uh, Pac-12 football game was USC-Utah. And I think, I'm not sure, was that the crazy game where the score changed after the game, as I recall? I Remember think you're that, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we said, this is perfect. This is absolutely perfect for the Pac-12. You didn't know the final score until an hour after the game. <laughs> that was like, okay, now we know what's coming. Yeah. And that's... we weren't wrong. That's hilarious. Yeah. That's, and, uh, I think it had something to do with like the, the betting line too. If I'm not, if it was impacted by that. Yeah. So people... I think, I think there may have been some payouts that, uh, that got paid before they shouldn't have gotten paid. Yeah. I don't think Las Vegas was very happy with, uh, the first ever Pac 12 football game. No, that's crazy. And speaking of, we're going to talk to Joe Duffy at the end of the show, uh, about the spread in this one. USA didn't cover the spread yeah, again, Dan. Wow. One like, in, have you seen it? One, 
Oh, no, but, I mean, for the, the Oregon State game, USC didn't cover the spread. They took a knee at the end. So, 1-5 against the spread. And Oregon State was 0-5, and, and now they're 1-5. They covered. So, neither Oregon State or USC like to cover spreads, apparently. Well, and have you seen seen it, uh, the first thing that came out of Vegas uh, this weekend uh, for this game? No, I did not see that. What's the spread on this one? It's, it was as high as 14. Wow. As low as 11 and a half. It's a big spread. I mean, it's a, uh, you know, double digit plus, uh, spread for USC. So, uh, I mean, I guess <laughs> the people who are following trends are going to say, hmm, wow, that's a, <laughs> that's a, that's a real spread. Uh, it, it's an interesting spread. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, we're going to actually record a Pac 12 podcast where David Woods from Bro and I will pick our games and, uh, yeah, we'll see. I, I've pretty much declared I'm not picking USC to cover the spread the rest of the season, so maybe, maybe I'll change that. But uh, I'll, we'll talk to Joe Duffy later on about that. My my little theory there, but it's just been they've been awful covering the spread. When when it's, yeah. it's not like typically like this, but that's kind of like what your expectation is, right, Dan? It's like it's not exact, but if if you're a three point or you know three point favorite, you're expected to win by a field goal. If you're a three touchdown favorite, you're expected to win. You know, by 21, USC just hasn't been doing what most people expect them to do, so that's why they're one and five against the spread. Yeah, I guess the uh, the, the thing that could change that is if they can get Matt Fink into the game enough uh, <laughs> uh, from going forward, might uh, throw that throw that off. I actually thought he might have been the spread changer uh, uh, last week. Uh, so uh, get him in because you don't have to throw the ball, and you still might be able to score. So yeah. uh, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah, he scored on a 51-yard touchdown run and then almost scored again. If he scored again, then USC would have covered, but USC took a knee. So, all right, well, we'll talk about more about that later. I uh, wanted to thank our sponsor for the Parastyle Podcast and Dan Weber's uh, episodes, Trader Joe's. They've been awesome to us. Uh, we love working with Trader Joe's because we love going to Trader Joe's. Uh, I got the cool USC Trader Joe's bags, and uh, you know, that I, I only got a couple of people who keep writing me. They had them there at the USC event we did in August, um, and they gave like 600 of them away at our event. So unfortunately, I don't have any more, but I, I use them. I keep them in the car. Uh, we've been doing a, a kind of an Indian food kick lately. Like I told you last week, I brought stuff uh, to Shotgun's Place, uh, some snacks. But um, I would recommend – so everyone – this is an Indian food, but the, the mandarin orange chicken is like their most popular thing. So you do like a frozen food thing, so it's pretty easy to, to prepare – you pick up the mandarin orange and chicken. That's great. But try the Indian stuff. So chicken tikka masala. I really like that. Like when I go get Indian food, my wife and I went out the other uh, last week and, and get it. So we like to make it with Trader Joe's too. So get that with the rice. It's awesome. And then uh, they have some uh, garlic naan too that uh, is awesome too. So check it out. There's a vegan version of it. I'm more of the chicken guy. I like the meat stuff. But um, the, the cool stuff about the Trader Joe's, like when you get the frozen stuff, it's real easy to bring home and you make it and it tastes like you're at a restaurant, but it's really easy to prepare. So definitely check that stuff out if you get a chance. And I got bag number 600, by the way. So I, I, you got I the last bag? Fine. Uh, my, uh, I got the very last one, I believe, as I walked out that day. So, uh, wasn't gonna, wasn't gonna miss out on a really cool, uh, Cardinal and Gold Trader Joe's USC bag. Yeah, they're, they're really cool. When I bring them out, people comment. And when I showed, I think we showed a picture of them. Um, man, and then people, I kept getting all these emails about them. I'm like, sorry, I don't have them. We had them when we were there, but, um, definitely go check it out. Lots of really cool, uh, stuff there in the frozen food section. Obviously lots of different sections, but if you want to get like a quick, uh, tasty dinner, uh, I would definitely recommend that. All right, Dan. Well, we want to talk about this game. Um, 
Oregon State's pretty awful. I rewatched the game, and you kind of forget how many blown opportunities the Beavers had. Like, they were driving in the third quarter. Like, USC only had two possessions in the third quarter. Part of the reason Oregon State had this really long drive, they get down inside the five-yard line and just, like, fumble the snap away. Like, it, it wasn't forced. It was just, they just screwed up, you know? Um, so many opportunities for Oregon State. They were two two out of five in the red zone. Uh, you know, one touchdown, one field goal. It, it was like, I think that's why USC fans kind of came away not satisfied because they realized Oregon State just blew so many opportunities to make this at least closer. Yeah, and I know you could make the point uh, that Clay made that, wow, did our defense step up. Man, oh, man, they just wouldn't let him in the end zone. Uh, you can make that point. I, I'm sure if you're an Oregon State fan, you're not – uh, singing the praises of USC's defense, you're saying, what the heck did this do? How did we not score? Come on. Uh, I mean, they, uh, you know, you hate to say that it was all about Oregon State, but I think in a lot of ways it was. That, that this wasn't so much just USC shutting them down. This was Oregon State just couldn't get it into the end zone. Uh, no matter how they tried, they'd miss a field goal. They'd get one blocked. They, I mean, when they wouldn't get it into the end zone, then they wouldn't get the field goal either. I mean, it was like, how, how many times can you shoot yourself in the foot? And they kept doing it. I mean, it was, uh, I, I thought they, tr- you know, I thought they played hard and, and I thought they played together. I, you know, if I were the, their coach, I would have thought this isn't the worst effort. You know, we, they came out and really tried to, you know, to play with USC. Um, so I don't think USC didn't take any backward steps, but they didn't necessarily take any forward steps either, other than they got a lot of young guys in the game. And I know Clay was thrilled about getting a lot of young guys in the game, and you want to say, would that those thrills would happen a little sooner in the season that you get those young guys in the game? Because I know they're now looking at that as a real positive for USC. And would that that would have been a positive in September, uh, more so than, you know, holding them off till October. And a lot of times it's because you absolutely have to get them in the game. Uh, but, uh, but that was the one, I think that one bright spot was, uh, I mean, right now, for example, I don't think people were so desperately, uh, afraid, let's say, if Matt Fink has to go into a game. And I'm not sure that was the case before Saturday. So I think that was a real plus, a plus for Matt Fink, plus for USC, just to have a sense of, okay, there's somebody that can go in there and, and get some things done. So some positive. Well, um, okay. So we, I want to get into questions, but while we were talking, I get a tweet. Um, this is from Amy Schwartz, who she covers, let's see. She, oh, the, Amy Schwartz. So she's, uh, on the Beaver Blitz staff. So she covers, um, Oregon State for Scout 247. Um, actually got to meet her, uh, at the, in the press box. But anyway, she just sent out a press release. Students have received an email from President Ed Ray. Coach er, uh, Gary Anderson and Oregon State have now parted ways. So. Wow. They mutually decided to. Part ways, uh, Corey Hall, who's on staff, is going to be taking over. That is insane. What do you wow. think? I mean, that's 
That's crazy. I mean, they look awful. They, I mean, they really, really are bad. That's why when USC fans are like, hey, you know, got, like this team was so horrible. It's hard to feel good about a 28 point win over this team. It's so bad, but man, that's, that's shocking. Yeah. I mean, I will say this. They don't have much talent, but I thought he, they did as well. Uh, yeah, sure. They didn't put the ball in the end zone, but they at least had a chance to. I, I thought they, you know, stood in there with USC decently considering the talent differential. Uh, and it looked like they played, played hard for him. Uh, wow. I mean, here's a guy who did a great job at Utah State, gets the Wisconsin job, does a great job there, but because of some issues between, you know, the athletic director who was there, you know, who had been the football coach at Wisconsin, and it, it's not an easy place to, you know, I guess they've had what three coaches in seven or eight years at Wisconsin. It's just it's not an easy place to to be a head coach as good as the program is. So he decides to you know Gary Anderson decides to come back to Oregon State, and uh, hmm, now you realize how good a job Mike Riley did there, even though they got unhappy with him. I mean I thought uh, I don't know that there's a Oregon State and Washington State might be the the two hardest to coach. In, in the Power Five conferences. It's it just, there's not very many football players, you know, within hundreds of miles. And, uh, you know, it's just a, it's a really difficult situation. That's, un, that's insane. I agree. Uh, that's insane. I don't know how that's a positive unless Gary Anderson just said, I want to be out of here. Uh, get me out of here. He didn't look know. too happy. I mean, you're watching on the replay, you get to see his face a little bit more. But I mean, Oregon State hired him away from Wisconsin. Like, he left Wisconsin to go to Oregon State. And it's like, uh, and you're going to roll with it. Now, they were getting better, and this year was obviously a huge step back. You just thought this could be the year they they take the next step and make a bowl game, but they've just been so bad. Something's going on. He's unhappy. Yeah. There, there's something going on, you know. Something else that we don't – it's not just on the field – now, the dangerous year usually is the year where people think, okay, he's been here a couple of years. This is the year it looks like we're going to move. And obviously they're playing without Ryan Nall, who's maybe as good a power runner as there is in the country, the big 235-pound tailback who's hurt. Uh, their quarterback that transferred in and uh, who could throw the ball, he's hurt. So right away you've lost your two uh real weapons. I mean, look at what happened to UCLA last year when they lost their quarterback. So they've lost their quarterback and their uh, really good running back. Uh, that's a, and a program like Oregon State, you don't have somebody behind uh, in either of those positions. So uh, that's really that's really strange. And I, I, my guess is it's as much Gary Anderson as it is uh, uh, Ed Ray, the president, has been uh, we've known that name because he was the head of the NCAA uh, Division One president group, and he was he was there uh, during USC's uh, NCAA issues. And uh, there are a lot of us who weren't real happy with President Ed Ray of uh, Oregon State, and 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 maybe he came from Ohio State, where I think he was the guy who hired Trussell. And, uh, you know, they seem to get much better treatment from the NCAA than USC did. There are people, I think, who thought, 
oh, I wonder at the fact that he's at a, a competing Pac-12 institution uh, made it worse for USC. Uh, but uh, not a lot of good feelings, I think, from a lot of USC people about the president of Oregon State. So, uh, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, that is nuts. Breaking news during the podcast. That's wow, nuts. wow, wow. That's why I keep Twitter up, you know, just to see. That's just, <laughs> Twitter's weird a lot of times. But I'm glad you did. That's that's an amazing. Yeah. That's truly. It would be hard to talk uh, about this game. Like, you want, if USC fans want to feel bad, like, hey, you got to win. Darnold threw for 300 yards. You know, you got things kind of going. And, you know, Oregon State fired their head coach over what you did to him. So don't feel too bad about the game. So keep that in mind, everybody, as we as I read all of your questions of negativity. Um, well, I mean, it's one of those ones where you say, well, if you'd have beat them 58 to 10, okay. You beat them 38 to 10, and they still fire the guy. You know, yeah. I mean, it's like they beat the spread. Yeah. They covered I mean, the spread for the first say, hey, time. Wait, we beat the spread. How can you fire me? If that's how it happened, they parted ways. So uh, we probably can't can't get. I mean, let's face it. He's kind of an independent guy. He was willing to leave Wisconsin and and on a good note, and he was doing well at Wisconsin. He left there because he didn't like the way things were going there. So he's kind of an independent sort of a guy. So uh, uh, you know, it may not have been one sided. Wow. Well, uh, let's. Uh, I guess we'll jump into the questions. Let me play this one for you. I'll do a voicemail. Start off with that. Hello, Don Arthur here. My comments for anyone who wants to respond. USC's defense is playing well enough for them to win games, providing the offense puts points on the board. That's the problem. As I watched the USC-Oregon State game, it was basically a replay of the previous games on offense. If the play calling doesn't get any better, I can see them losing two or three more games. My suggestion to T. Martin is to stop calling plays that the defense is ready for and start calling plays that they aren't ready for. Also, he needs to throw the ball deep down the field. The opposing defensive backs are sitting on the short passing game because there's no threat to go deep down the field. So if he goes deep down the field, that'll open up the short passing game and also the running game. What is it that T. Martin doesn't get about what I've described? Fight on, USC. Well, I think both of those issues get you back to Sam Darnold. Uh, Sam talked about, and Clay uh, didn't address in the conference call last night, Sam talked about other teams, other defenses are focusing on our offensive tendencies. And I think we ought to think about breaking those tendencies. Now, Clay said we didn't want to answer that because he hadn't talked to Sam directly about it and, and it wasn't exactly sure the context, and it could have been taken out of context. I was there. It was not taken out of context. That's exactly what Sam said. So he's seeing that teams are reacting to just what you said, that they, they've gotten in a kind of a, uh, you know, a pattern of, of what they're doing. And uh, as you said, with the, with the short throws, and the problem they've got is Sam hasn't really connected on the, on the deep throws. Uh, got some medium throws in, uh, but, uh, but that deep ball has really been elusive. Some of that is younger wide receivers who get physicaled up 
I mean, honestly, Oregon State secondary injured and all with the talent differential to begin with should not be able to manhandle USC's receivers no matter how young they are uh, on a scrimmage. And they ought to be able to get deep. Uh, hooking up with them is is kind of the issue. And, uh, uh, you know, is there – you know, Sam wasn't the greatest long ball thrower last year, uh, and that probably hasn't gotten any better at all this year. Now, again, there are, there are speculations about, you know, Sam and his ability to do that, whether it's something, you know, some kind of a physical issue that's come up this year or not. It just doesn't seem like, uh, I mean, they work on it, uh, but no, the practice the other day, it, it, it was, I, I remember saying to somebody, I said, wow, Matt Fink is throwing a, de- a better deep ball than, than Sam is here today at practice. And it's something that seems pretty obvious that they've got to get it done, but they've got to figure out, uh, what do they have to do to, to, to give Sam the opportunity to throw that ball? Who do they throw it to? Who is their, uh, you know, is Velas Jones that deep threat? Uh, is, you know, is it somebody else or they have to do it, you know, figure out different ways to, to get that done? Uh, they haven't and they need to. And as you're right, they need to run some stuff that people aren't expecting and, uh, not trick plays, just some basic stuff. I will give them this. They, they committed to the run, uh, let's say the first series and they really ran the ball well made you respect the run and then they throw play action for the touchdown that to me is classic usc football and it's classic anybody's football you can make them respect the run and believe in the run and uh line up and and run it you know and you've got younger guys you got andrew voice and you know clayton johnson uh you expect them big physical uh guys younger guys block the run so i like that idea and it makes it easier for everybody if you can block the run it makes the pass blocking easier because they have to look at the run first and they have to figure out you're coming at them and you run you run action so uh from a lot of standpoints uh i I like that but they tend to get away in games from stuff that that's working and i'm not quite sure i call it grab you know the grab bag philosophy where you just grab a play and then you grab a, another play and you grab another play instead of kind of building uh one play off the next off the next and getting into a rhythm getting a flow going uh they were better at that last year this this year they do not seem to have that that same ability uh to get that done and that helps as well when you get people on their heels a little bit and you run tempo and you go quick uh and all of those are things that still they're still working on. Um, wanted to uh, before we get too deep into this, Dan. We, I got an, uh, an email from uh, Eric, uh, and he had a, a really good friend, Greg McCulley. He said on Saturday, uh, October seventh, two thousand seventeen, my friend and USC fan died in his house. So it was Greg McCulley mm. while getting ready to attend the game against Oregon State. He was the ultimate Trojan fan and a Peristyle podcast follower. He was the one who made the statement last week that he said, I agree, I miss Norm Chow. We would travel to away games and attend salute to Troy's together, swim with Mike's and the coaches tour in Palm Springs. Last time I spoke to Greg was when I attended the Cal game by myself and he told me he couldn't make the game because he couldn't make the walk. 
I'm in shock of his passing, and I hope you can mention his name during the podcast. I want to dedicate the rest of the USC football season to Greg. Fight on Greg and go SC sincerely from Eric. So really sorry to hear about that, Eric. That's uh, uh, terrible. And, and fight on to Greg. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, – thank you, Eric, for mentioning Greg. And, uh, you know, we're – prayers for Greg. Uh, wow. Thanks so much. Yeah, I just want to say prayers and, you know, thoughts and prayers going out to his, his family and friends. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, it's, it's terrible to hear, but thanks. I'm glad, you know, hopefully, you know, wherever he is up in heaven somewhere, he brings a little smile to his face that we got to mention him on the Peristyle podcast, whatever little thing we can do. Uh, but thanks, Eric, for sharing that and sending us that in. Um, all right. Well, let, let's jump into the question. Sorry. Uh, but I wanted to at least bring that up. Um, uh, Otis, he said, Hey, Ryan, this is for Dan. How many quarterback coaches does it take to screw in a light bulb? Answer, three is not enough. Not one has had a light bulb moment for this offense. It's worrisome to hear T always asking for help. P.S. USC got its unofficial bye week against Oregon State. Fight on from Otis. Otis, uh, boy, I may steal that light bulb moment uh, (laughs) because there's a lot of talk uh, on this staff about light bulbs and the light going on and what have you. And, uh, that's a that's a pretty interesting twist uh, from yeah I do think it can be difficult when the all the architects of, of, of the offense or at least the two play callers and the head coach are all former quarterbacks and quarterback coaches and the coordinators uh, I I think the hardest thing for those guys to do is to figure out the run game. I just think it's just not, not the way quarterbacks think. And I'm, I'm not going to stereotype, you know, and what have you, but, uh, but I do think it's, uh, it's a challenge to figure out, uh, uh, how to get the whole offense working together. And, you know, I've, and I know they, they believe that the run game is the key. And I know I've probably said it a thousand times. If they can run the ball, they will be able to throw the ball. That will come. That will, they've got enough skill people that if, if teams have to really gear up to stop the run, USC will be able to throw the ball on them. It, that's just a truism that, that can't ever not be correct. Uh, getting the run game correct is, has been a problem over the years. And that's with a series of, uh, of quarterback coaches, basically, uh, uh, you know, uh, Lane was a quarterback. Sark was a quarterback. Uh, Clay's a quarterback. I mean, Pete was a defensive guy, and Pete's teams became really good football teams when they figured out when Justin Fargus got healthy and they figured out how to how to run the ball. Everything else fell into place. And I think that's got to be uh, what this team does at all times: is figure out. How can we run the ball again? Hey, what was what was the secret of the uh, Stanford game? Yeah, see, they ran at him, they blocked him. They you know, they ended up with 623 yards, but the ability to run the ball on Stanford that changes everything. So that to me is the key. If USC goes into any game from here on in, if they can run the ball, they win the game. It's that simple. So got to get that done, quarterbacks. All right, uh, let's go to Jason. He said, with Ware's fantastic catch. Okay, so he's talking about there was a scramble play that Darnold rolled out and uh, 
really didn't throw a very good ball and where like turn was facing towards the middle of the field, had to turn around, face towards the sideline and dove and caught it. Um, and USC tweeted out that was a dime. I'm like, that was not a dime. That was a terrible pass, but Ware made a great catch. So Jason saying yep. with Ware's fantastic catch, do you think that we develop a formation with him as an H back and, and Rojo as the tailback? It seems like this would be a valuable way to get an experienced and reliable player involved in the game plan. Uh, so do that. He has a second question, but we'll let you talk about that one first. Yeah, I like the idea of having a, a, a running back, a guy who can get yards after the catch. And I thought, I think that was his career long catch, 37 yards. I was really impressed. That was a, that was a terrific play by, uh, by said. And, uh, yeah, I think the idea, uh, where somebody would have to really watch out for, uh, for that second guy. For example, up at Washington State, uh, the touchdown to Josh, uh, no, wait. I'm trying to think. That was last week. Uh, uh, Josh Fallow touchdown uh, at, at Washington State. They lined him up at tight end, and he really couldn't get out of traffic. At uh, the Oregon State game, they lined him up at a wing back. So they lined up uh, Eric Cromenhook as a tight end and Josh at the wing back. And they knew, uh-oh, they've only got one corner to cover both of us. And that's why he basically walked in on that 30-yard touchdown. I think those kinds of things uh, would really pay off for USC. Uh, and, and if you uh, if you line up, uh, let's say, uh, a sad at the wingbacker of Avai Malapai, uh, both of them can really run with the ball after they catch it. So if you can get the ball to them in space fairly quickly, uh, why they haven't thrown the ball to the running backs uh, is really kind of a mystery because that was the thing – when when USC signed Stephen Carr, that was the thing that T. Martin just was overjoyed. He said, this is going to change our offense tremendously because Stephen Carr can catch the ball so well. And, uh, you know, Stephen's out now. But uh, the last game, uh, they didn't – the last game he played at Oregon – or at Oregon, they didn't throw the ball, complete a single pass to either a tight end or a, uh, or a running back. And those – kinds of offensive uh, nights just can't happen anymore. They You can't go through a game. Uh, and they made up for it a little bit. Again, it was Oregon State. They threw the ball to 13 different receivers. But uh, you can't have one of those games like Washington State where you only throw it to four different receivers and two of them are like first-time guys that one gets two and one gets one. I mean, you just can't cannot have those games. And uh, so really like anything that puts a, another receiver – who can really run with the ball and, uh, and, and gives the defense something else to think about, uh, which right now they don't have to. And when USC does that and does it well, it tends to work because people aren't ready for it. They haven't seen USC do that much. So um, you know, these weeks of practice where they figure out exactly what it is they want to do and really do it enough in practice for pressure so they're ready to do it in the game, I think, is, is the key. This next two weeks, I cannot overstate how important practice is uh, these next two weeks. Um, Jason, second part of the question said, do you think Fink's willingness to run the ball, an excellent run on Saturday, will earn him a short yardage or goal line wildcat package? It seems like this would give defenses something else to think about on the goal line, open up short yardage running attacks, and be a valuable way to give him playing experience beyond mop-up duty which is hilarious because that's what Sam Darnold was doing last year in the first three games uh, for, for Max Brown. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, 
here you go. Sam got on the field originally as the third down, short yardage, uh, guy who could keep the ball and run with it. And the fact that you would even think that, oh, maybe Matt Fink is that guy, tells you something about what's going on with Sam. I know they won't, you know, say anything, but something, there is a difference. That's the, the Sam that we're seeing now is not the person you would put on the field for, like you did last year, for short yardage situations, for goal line situations. Uh, that's just, that's not who he has become in this season. Uh, we can speculate all we want on, uh, on what the reason for that is, but, uh, but it's interesting that you would think, wow, would we be better off with, uh, with a quarterback who can run the ball? And, and I asked Clay that question, uh, Sunday night and Clay said, no, no, he's, he's, he pulled the ball down four times against Oregon or against Washington State and ran it. He's got three rushing touchdowns. So no, I don't, you know, he said, I'm very, very partial, uh, uh, very biased, I guess he said, toward my quarterback. Uh, and, and I think he's doing a great job running the ball so uh when he's talking about sam so uh some differences of opinion uh obviously here right now we got one from earl in west la he says i know the doom and uh doom and bloomers aren't impressed with the lackluster victory over oregon state uh nonetheless there are still many positive points that lead to at worst another rose bowl appearance um the return of stephen mitchell the return of michael pittman the rise of Tyler Vons. I like that one. First place in the Pac-12 South with a two-game lead on everyone. Uh, two extra wins. I wouldn't say it's a two-game lead. Six games to yeah. become. I think a, that's a one. Technically, that's a one-game. lead. Yeah, yeah. That's not a two-game lead. You get a half. You get a half a game for each win. Right. So yeah, but, but and they said USC six. will take it. Yeah, six games to a better team and six games to become a better team and to heal. Your thoughts, Earl in West LA. To get to the Rose Bowl. Since it's one of the two semifinal games, you have to be one of the final four. So if you win out, USC wins out. I think they probably get there. Uh, but that would mean they're going to beat somebody good from the North in the championship game. I mean, one of the ideal situations is if Washington, let's say, probably the best situation for USC would be for Washington to win out just because Washington is in there now. And they're going to stay there. Uh, whereas say Washington State wins out, they could still be undefeated and maybe not get into the, the top four because you want the team, if you're going to you know, play them in the championship game, if you knock a Washington out, uh, and USC say is, uh, you know, 11 and one or whatever at that point, 12 and one when they win that, if they win that game, uh, you have a better chance to jump into the final four than you do if you're, um, if you're playing, say, a Washington State. Uh, but, you know, in this case, if Washington State wins out and USC would beat them, USC can say, see, lost that first game because we were injured and it was Friday and it was Pac-12 referees, uh, officials and blah, 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 blah. And so, uh, I think you could make a case for either one of those. But, uh, the problem is, right now, Alabama and Clemson just looks so much better than everybody else. I'm not sure I'm, I'm convinced about Georgia yet, but Alabama and Clemson look so much better that if you're the third or fourth team, even if you've won out, uh, you've got to play one of those two in the first round. And, uh, I'm not sure, you know, that that's, uh, 
obviously, if you got to play them at the Rose Bowl, that would be uh, probably uh, a pretty cool way to to go. But man, that is so far ahead of the <laughs> so far ahead of the. And now you're just trying to extend your LA winning streak uh, over uh, uh, Utah to 101 years, uh, <laughs> and just take care of this year, this week, this year, and then then let the rest of it. And then you're going to go to Notre Dame, and they are going to be. They've got two weeks to get ready for USC, and they are, they really don't like USC, and they don't like the fact that they've lost a couple of times in LA, uh, kind of embarrassingly, and so uh, they are going to come after USC. They're really going to. That's going to be a, a, a whether USC is ready for that that slugfest that that game's going to be. We'll see, but there's so much to do before we start thinking about what happens down at the end of the road. Uh, not that. They don't have a chance. They do have a chance, except the team we've seen the last few weeks does not probably have a chance to make that trip. Uh, they have to become like last year. They got better. They kept getting better. They kept getting better. Haven't quite seen that yet this year. That that we uh, knew last year, Friday night in Salt Lake City, something had changed, and obviously Sam was the big part of that. But you could tell something had changed. There was a sense. This team is going somewhere. Did we know it was going to win out? No. But we knew it was going somewhere. This team right now, do we have that sense? We do not. There, there's just no way to know where this team is going or who it is or how it's going to get there. Yeah, and that, I mean, that's a good segue to what Steve's question was, Steve from Beaumont, which is kind of the other side of, of what Earl was saying. He said, observation if we play Utah the way we played Oregon State, we can kiss the home winning streak goodbye. Um, and I, I would agree with him. I, you don't beat Utah with that kind of an effort. He said, I, I hear astute analysis from you, uh, from others on the podcast and from callers, Dan. Obviously, Lynn Swan sees the same issues. Do you think he talks to Clay Helton about what must be his concerns? That's from Stephen Beaumont. Absolutely. Yeah. He's, uh, they have a Sunday meeting. And Lynn is all over the football coaching part of this. Lynn is a, uh, as much as he was a, a, a tough-minded Trojan who played on some very good and very physical and very tough teams, he's also a Pittsburgh Steeler and Hall of Famer, played for a very tough coach at Pittsburgh. And uh, I think he he exhibits that attitude uh comes to this USC football team. Yeah, Lynn is not a, he's not a guy that goes in for a lot of happy talk after some of these games. Uh, uh, I would say if we had a pot or a conference call on Sunday evening with Lynn Swan, it would not sound the way it does with, uh, with Clay. Uh, so absolutely they talk and, uh, absolutely, you know, I don't know it, it's to the extent that let's say it was at LSU last week when the AD and Ed Orgeron brought in the two coordinators, one of them who's making a 1.8 million a year and one who's making 1.5 million a year. And they had one of those meetings where they kind of cleared the air about what the heck is going on here. It almost, you know, seems like it kind of worked a little bit. I mean, they escaped Gainesville with a 17-16 win over Florida. So, uh, it's not to that point, but I think uh, I think Lynn is not hesitant in making his uh, feelings known about the USC football program. 
I mean, we were always amazed. He didn't seem overjoyed by the uh, uh, by the Rose Bowl win, uh, <laughs> and said, "I think the first thing he basically said was, well, it wasn't exactly what we wanted. We really want to win the Pac-12, and then uh, we didn't. So, you know, and I think he's looking at the scoreboard and seeing those 49 points. And uh, so, uh, yeah, Lynn is not a, a happy talk guy. He's, uh, I would think there those meetings on Sunday are probably really interesting. I, I, I wish we could be a fly on the wall when uh, when they get down and go over the Saturday game. Yeah, that would be a good one. Um, Justin from Orange County says, we keep talking about the talent, about how Clay Helton may say one thing in public, but he has to know, etc. But they were beaten in Pullman. We thought for sure that they would have, that would be a wake up call. But once again, there seems to be no understanding of blocking schemes to open up holes. Now we face the toughest run defense we're going to face on Saturday. Can we expect to see the same exact stubborn scheme without any adjustments? Thanks. Love the show. Justin in Orange County, and he's talking about Utah, who held uh, Bryce Love to 150 yards. They did give up one like 50-something yard run, but that was the, the yeah. fewest output. I thought they did a pretty good job overall. He's really good. You're going to get some, but um, get your thoughts on that from Justin. Yeah, I mean, I think his first uh, – I'm trying to remember how many carries. He was averaging like four yards a carry for his first you know, 12 or whatever it was carries until he broke that one where he had to basically, I don't know how he did it. He, he ran through one guy, then another guy, then another guy. And he, he just, it was like he was an invisible man or something. They just couldn't quite get him down. It was just unbelievable effort. Uh, so they're good. They're tough. They, uh, they will come after you. What you don't want to see is for USC to overreact and say, oh, well, we can't do that. Then well, we'll, we'll do all this other stuff that we can't do. Uh, I think they've got to, they got to line up and run the ball. I mean, uh, let's face it. Now that we're seeing them, you know, Stanford didn't have a lot of luck uh, in the San Diego State game. Pretty, uh, but they're a pretty good team. And as they've gone on to prove, uh, that win for USC ought to count for something. And if I were, you know, if I were USC, you'd like to go back to uh, the basic principles of the Stanford game and. They got people blocked in that game. They got good people blocked. I mean, they they certainly blocked, and and they talked about Washington State's defensive numbers and that. But Washington State's a, a gimmick defense with play hard and try to penetrate and beat you to the spot. But uh, but you'd like to see them go back to that, uh, that Stanford game, and I think they've got to go into this game and say we are going to run the football and we are going to run it. We're not going to trick them. We're not going to fake them out. We're going to block them, and we're going to get ready in practice this week to block them. We're not going to use excuses, oh, we've got young guys, oh, we got injured guys. Oh, no, you line up, you ought to be able to block Utah. As good as they are, as fundamentally sound as they are, you go into that game, and you don't change your game. I mean, Stanford went in there. Did they change what they do? No, they just stayed at it. They stayed at it, they stayed at it, and they won the game. Uh, on the road at Utah, and that's what USC. You, you got them at home. You line up and you run the ball. You have to be able to run the ball, and uh, and and not gimmicky. Just figure out a way to do it, and work hard at it this week, and go into that game with a confidence that you are going to be able to run the ball, and that the reason 
I say that is if they run the ball, I can't say this enough, USC will be able to throw it. And that's how you beat people. And that's how USC always beats people. And uh, so I wouldn't go away from it. anything that, that they think they can do. Uh, you got to be able to do it. But you got to be able to do it. You can't just expect it to happen uh, because you line up and you give, you know, somebody the ball. Uh, and, and does Sam probably need to keep it a little bit more if you're going to run the read option? Yeah, he does. Uh, if you're going to run the run pass option, uh, you've got to do it, you know, in ways that you've got to, you know, get the ball to people that, uh, you haven't been throwing it to. I mean, that, that, that the tight end, maybe we'll start getting the ball a little bit more now. Uh, but, uh, and the running backs, uh, I don't think Stephen Carr is going to be ready this week. So, um, and yet, Aka Cedric showed you he can be a real threat and, uh, they've got to, you know, I just think they've got to run the ball to set everything else up, and that makes life so much easier for the for the uh, offensive linemen. Makes life easier for Sam, and uh, you know you got You can't be uh, intimidated because uh, oh Utah's got this reputation, or here are their numbers, or whatever. Not you just say hey we're USC, we're going to be able to run the ball on you, and no excuses. Uh, you're talking about like finding different. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Nope. Oh, sorry. I was cutting out there for a second. Um, yeah. You talk, you talk about finding different uh, receivers and stuff. Uh, Tark had a question kind of along those lines. Is it me or is Darnold not going through all of his reads? I think that's, I think that's what we're hearing. Uh, I, I, we're hearing that people are open and he's already uh, decided uh, to, to go with uh, an earlier read. That's the that's the issue. Did they get all the wide receivers and Sam on the same page through the summer, through a, a preseason practice, or you know was there so much uh, personnel and, and Michael Pittman going down, uh, Daniel Mater Baby not available, to the point where Sam said, "Well, I can trust this guy, or I can trust that guy, but I'm not sure." If that guy's going to be where I think he should be. So does he not get to that third read because he's just not sure by the time you get to that third, he better be there. And if you decided, you know, the chances are he may not be there. You may not ever get to that third read. Uh, and because Sam, we aren't seeing him escape the pocket and we aren't seeing him, uh, you know, run and turn up field which gave not only gave him extra time and extra ability to locate the uh, the open receiver, but it certainly gave the receivers time to come back and find an open. And we're not seeing much of that. And, and that puts so much pressure, you know. And so, uh, so, yeah, I think one of the ways Sam, you know, extended plays last year, and he's, he's not extending plays this year the way he did last year. And, uh, and he, you know, very seldom, I mean, for the whole season, almost never did the first uh, pass rusher get to Sam. Sam would eliminate that guy. He beat that guy with his quick moves. And um, then that guy's behind him. Sam's now out of the pocket, turning upfield, and USC was playing 11 on 10. And you've got to 
heck of an advantage if you're playing 11 on 10 because that for, it certainly happened in the Rose Bowl over and over again. Penn State couldn't get to Sam with their first guy, and USC played 11 on 10, and they had a, a heck of an advantage. We're not seeing that as much this year. Um, so, uh, so I think he's not necessarily getting all the way through his reads and uh, maybe not necessarily trusting uh, uh, those it has been kind of a you know a mixed up group in terms of uh, in terms of pass receivers. Uh, Deontay's getting beat up a little bit, uh, shoulder injury, then a toe injury, uh, and you know Stephen is now jailing. Stephen Mitchell's been out. Jalen Green's been out. Michael Pittman's been out. So those were your next three guys. So of the first four, basically all four have been uh, have been injured. Uh, so and then you've got some really younger people uh, and it's been such a mixed bag I think at the wide receivers that you haven't had the Sam Darnold to Juju Sam Darnold to Darius Rogers you just haven't had that uh, this year and uh, something that's got to happen and they've got time to to do it but it's got to happen this week next week just gotta it's got to be there that kind of chemistry and uh, we haven't seen it we certainly have not um Let's see, Nick from Cyprus, quick question. Can you give us an injury update? And Tark wants to know if you see Daniel Metterbebe being back in time for Notre Dame, or do you think he just sits out the season and applies for a medical redshirt later? Boy, that would be a flip of coin. I really don't know. Uh, watching him last week, he didn't get to practice every day. Watching him uh, before the game Saturday, he still got some significant uh, uh you know, issues it looks like with that hip flex. Still, uh, if he get, if he does get back, and I know they were saying 90% when he was doing the, uh, uh, the anti-gravity, uh, weightlifting and all that kind of thing, but, uh, if he does come back, I think he will still be dragging that, that, uh, that leg a little bit with, uh, where the hip flexor has been a problem. Uh, I still think he, he'd be a plus, uh, to get him back. But yeah, Notre Dame is uh, is the target, and we'll see uh, if that's uh, uh, pretty far out uh, from when they you know made it the target. So so I don't know. Um, as far as the injuries, Stephen Carr watching him go by in the uh, in his boot uh, made you realize there's this no possibility this week. I would not think. I think that'd be the biggest shock of all time. Um, he. Uh, they said they targeted him for Notre Dame too. That's really a shame. You'd love to have seen him get back. Uh, before Notre Dame, so he could really be kind of close to 100% for Notre Dame. I think he could be a big factor in, in a game like that. Uh, talked to Porter Gustin on the way out after the game, and uh, he's still in that boot, moving really well. And they're just, all they're doing is trying to, I don't think he's got any pain in that toe. They're just trying to immobilize it uh, to the point where it's completely healed with the screws in it and the, and the bone so that, uh, uh, you know, I can't do any more damage to it, uh, after playing in, you know, three days after the surgery. Uh, but he said soon. And so he didn't seem to indicate that, that there is a, an issue about whether he's back or not this year. So Porter Gustin, uh, said soon. Uh, Marlon Tua Pelotu, I don't know if, if he's coming back. Uh, usually when they tell you, as Clay did Sunday night, that he's going to meet with his parents and the doctors, that usually is a indicator of uh, 
potential surgery uh, and back surgery, which would, and then obviously bringing in Brandon Teeley is an indicator, as Clay said, that uh, they're going to need another big, big body. And um, so I'm not real optimistic about Marlon Chuma, high ankle sprain that's not healing really fast, but he didn't look like he was in terrible shape after the game. I think he's working real hard to get it back. I just think you don't always know with those high ankle sprains, uh, you know, whether, whether you're going to get them, you know, get them back or not. And then, you know, the second special teams guy, scholarship guy goes down with Damon Johnson, the uh, long snapper, got both a back issue and concussion uh, protocol uh, after that game. So he must have gotten, you know, must have been covering, covering on a punt. And I, I didn't see what happened to him, but, uh, They'll know Tuesday whether whether they've got a long snapper or not. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else uh, we haven't uh, we haven't covered. I think that's that's basically kind of where the uh, where the injury situation uh, stands. Yeah, uh, we'll know more this week too uh, when we get back to practice. Uh, we've got a couple more. We'll let you go, um, Thomas. Uh, with the way the team is playing right now, it's feeling a lot like that horrible 2012. Season. And I think, I think USC actually tweeted out like USC's five and one for the first time since 2012. Um, yes, uh, <laughs> that, that, that you, if you were being like you were the official tweeter and you got to 2012, you'd say, you know what? I don't think I'm going to tweet this one out. <laughs> I would just think, yeah, that's just, uh, let's, let's go some another direction. Yeah. You saw it. I saw it. Everybody like, ah, yeah. And that was the case. In yeah. 2012, they were sort of staggering along and kind of, well, we're still winning and everything. And then, and it wasn't yeah. that way. And they went south about as fast as you can go south, uh, with that loss at Arizona. But, uh, yeah, that was, yeah. Uh, at USC, if you don't remember, USC ended up seven and six. But Thomas continues. He said, I think there's a good chance USC loses to Utah, Colorado. Colorado does not look that good, dude. Uh, UCLA. Uh, and Notre Dame in the last six games. Would a seven and five season with losses to UCLA and Notre Dame be enough for Clay to lose his job after the season? Honestly, I wouldn't be mad at seven and five if it meant Clay and his staff would all be fired. This whole staff needs to go. They're wasting all of our talent with horrible coaching and preparation. Wow, Tom. So Thomas, not happy with the staff, Dan. Get your thoughts there. Seven and five would be tough, uh, uh, because it would be a nosedive at the end of the year. I mean, seven and five would mean you've what, you've gone, uh, two and, uh, two and four, uh, and, uh, including your big, big rivals. I mean, if you lose to both UCLA and Notre Dame, that's tough. If you lose your home winning streak to say a Utah or, uh, a UCLA, that's, that's, uh, that's tough. Uh, so. Uh, there'd be issues. Uh, I mean, the one problem I think that this staff might have is, I mean, it becomes a, a numbers game to some extent. And while, say, let's say that uh, Jim Mora is almost unfireable because of his whatever it is, a $14 million buyout, I don't think Clay's buyout is anywhere near that. Um, and so he would, uh, he and this staff are in a more precarious situation, I would think, just from the standpoint of, you know, if people say, oh, let's, 
well, could we do it? at UCLA, for example, the last year or two, they've said, well, there's no way we can't, you can't buy, you can't spend that kind of money. Um, it wouldn't be that kind of money for USC. So, uh, so I don't know. Uh, it would be, uh, they really, they can't do that. I mean, uh, let's just say this. I mean, if, uh, with what's coming up next year, not a very good home schedule, the possibility that they're going to take out the 9,000 best seats in the Coliseum, the possibility that there's going to be almost no parking at the Coliseum from what we, or at least there's going to be significantly less parking next year than there is this year. Uh, all of those things uh, add up to a, a fairly difficult situation going forward uh, for USC football. You don't know what's going to happen with, with Sam Darnold, uh, with some of the other guys. Uh, right now, you don't think they're necessarily rocketing to the top of the NFL list uh, to, co- to leave early. Uh, but um, uh, this is uh, they they can't go two and four. Let's just say that they just that that better not happen. All right, we got one last one. Uh, also, not very positive. Sorry, most of the I try to I do all the positive. I do all the questions, but a lot of them have been negative. So we're not trying to be negative, but this is the way that people are uh, writing in. He said, uh, Percy said, uh, it is a consensus that Alabama has been the best run program in the last decade. But you never know that listening to Saban, Nick Saban, talk about how his team performs. On the flip side, Clay Helton and T. Martin talk so politely about how the Trojans perform as if they have really fragile fragile egos and can't take it. Do the USC coaches have any bite to their coaching like, I'm sorry, do the USC coaches have any bite to their coaching like the best run programs or are the players soft just like their coaches? Uh, Percy. Well, you make an interesting point. I mean, this is not Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and there are things you can do in Tuscaloosa that you can't do here. I still remember the was it two years ago? A guy showed up was it within the block uh, on a, a practice day? Was within a block of the stadium, and they arrested. He had a camera, and they arrested him. You know, it's just it's the different world there, and. and Every you know the approach is different. I think even Nick Saban, if he were coaching here, would probably uh, speak a little differently, uh, you know, talk a little differently. But I do think you're you may be right in that people seem overly concerned about the fragility, and that's a good word I think about the fragility of uh, of the of the USC players, and and as much as uh, psychologically, emotionally. Uh, there seems to be a, a there seems to be a concern about let's say physical practices that maybe uh, you would not hear Nick Saban worrying about quite so publicly uh, and um, uh, there is a different approach there's no question about it USC is a different place LA is a different place um, you could do things in Alabama that you're not going to get called out on or get or get any coverage of because people aren't going to know what's going on. Uh, at USC, you're, you know, in front of everybody with what you're doing. Uh, you know, it's a different, uh, completely different approach. Uh, it, it got them to a really good by the end of last year. Had USC and Alabama played at the end of last year, USC probably would have had a chance. Uh, their offense was good enough. Where their defense would have been, I don't know. 
but uh, but you saw that that Clemson, with a quarterback playing great, uh, had more than a chance against Alabama. So it didn't work necessarily against USC last year. Is that just a a change in in personalities and maturity of uh, of the players? Uh, what is it? I don't know. There's a hesitancy. I mean, honestly, last year, Alabama, for example, started a, a true freshman offensive tackle against USC, a kid California from Folsom. And they weren't, oh, woe is me. What are we going to do? I start an offensive tackle who's a freshman. Now they just said, hey, he's good enough. He's going to start. And he did. And it wasn't any big deal. So, um, I I like the idea of using the word fragility and wondering if there isn't too much of a, a worry about that sort of thing with the USC football program. Uh, I think less fragility would be a good thing. All right, Dan Weber, doing a great job. Thanks so much for uh, coming on and sharing all your insights. We'll see you out there at practice tomorrow. Very good. Okay, thanks a lot. Good questions, guys. Yeah, good questions. Thanks so much. No. You know, a little positivity is fine too. We'll see. You know, we'll it'll we'll determine this week and the next couple of weeks uh, where where this direction goes. But that'll be interesting to see. We'll be back in just a minute. We're going to talk with uh, Joe Duffy from Offshore Insiders about USC not covering the spread in this game and the, the big spread coming up for USC Utah and and Sam Darnold. Does he still have a chance at the Heisman? So we're going to talk about all that stuff with Joe Duffy just here in a minute. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. You know, ever since I started the Peristyle Podcast 10 years ago, people have been asking me for betting advice. And mostly, if I think USC will be covering the point spread. Well, let me tell you this. Where you are betting is just as important as which side you are betting on. That's why I always tell people to go to mybookie.ag. MyBookie's been in business for years, and their rep is rock solid. They do 100% cash bonuses, so off the bat... You're making money for doing nothing, and they have the fastest payout. Seriously, just two business days. You know who's going to win, right? Lay down some cash, and you can win big today. I'd only recommend a service to my listeners that's been good to me, and they definitely have. That's why I'm telling you, make your way over to mybookie.ag because they pay. And they also have in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business, and an all-new mobile site that makes wagering on the go a breeze. So go now to mybookie.ag. They will match your deposit with a 100% bonus if you use the promo code Parastyle. So visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, and you get paid. We now return to the Parastyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. All right, we are back here on the Peristyle Podcast, as promised, talking to Joe Duffy. He's the CEO of Offshore Insiders here on behalf of mybookie.ag. We want to talk about some of the odds around the USC Trojan football team sitting at 5-1 and one right now. Joe, thanks for coming on. How are you doing, man? Oh, thank you for having me, Ryan. No problem. Yeah, so you can follow him on Twitter at Offshore Insider, no S, at the end of his uh, Twitter account. All right, so I gave you like a little, I think I previewed a little theory I had. I picked do picks for the Pac-12 podcast that I do. Um, I've been burned by Stanford. I've been burned by USC. So my declaration was I am not picking the Trojans or the Cardinal to cover ever again the rest of the season. Maybe that's not smart, but they, I was right this past week. They both did not cover, so I felt pretty good about it. 
Yeah, and I one of my golden rules is you never want to get too frustrated over a team. Sometimes I hear people say, similar to what you said, like, yeah, I can never get USC right. I got to avoid them completely. Um, you know, people used to say, don't bet with your heart. I say, don't bet with a broken heart. Just because oh, I, like I maybe it. struggled with one team a couple times, you know, I, I don't avoid them. But I, I told you uh, on your podcast that it was an actual premium play that I was going against Oregon State because I do have what I call my bubble burst theory, where USC, because they were off of a loss, um, previously undefeated, that they were likely to have a big letdown. So, yeah, I was smiling after that game. And, in fact, Saturday was fantastic for me. I went 8-1 and one with my premium picks at offshoreinsiders.com, and it's been a great year. But uh, Oregon State was one of them. Oh, nice. Okay, so the, the spread was anywhere between, like, 31 and 35, I think, for the USC and Oregon State. Um, it um, Now, I've, I've tweeted this and let me know if I'm doing this wrong. I'm not like some betting expert, but to me, this felt like almost a backdoor cover by USC because in the fourth quarter, it was 28 to 10. So USC and they're, they're starting to put backups in. There's really looking like no way that USC is going to cover the spread, but they got a couple turnovers. Their backup quarterback ran a 51 yard touchdown in and took a knee inside the five. They would have, if they scored that touchdown, they would have beat the spread. So in your, would that have been a backdoor cover if USC came all the way back in the fourth quarter and, and covered that big spread? Most definitely. Um, I will say though, as somebody who does often bet big underdogs, look, that's the emotional risk you take. Um, I like to say that some people charge themselves psychological juice. I've heard people say that <laughs> they don't like betting on bad teams because, you know, they say that, look, if uh, I'd rather lose betting on USC, than I would on Oregon State, and that's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. But when you do bet big underdogs, uh, to say that, and of course, you know, in college football and college basketball are the two cases where you're going to have really large underdogs, you do have to sweat it out at the end, and that's a risk that you take because obviously the big underdog's not going to have as much depth, and there's a, a big danger there. But fortunately, Oregon State was able to barely uh, hold on for the cover. Yeah, they, uh, it's funny, USC, it was weird that USC took a knee because it was like, it was fourth down, so it wasn't like the clock was going to keep running. If you want to take a knee, I think third down and just let the clock run, but whatever, that's, um, but so going forward now, another, uh, home game for USC. This time, the Utah Utes coming off their very first loss, uh, to Stanford, a really tough one, uh, 23-20, uh, the Utah lost that one, but they covered, they, they scored late. They, that was a backdoor cover, I would say too. Utah scored late end up covering the spread there. But what's the spread for USC-Utah and any kind of thoughts on this game? USC is minus 13 at mybookie.ag. Mybookie.ag has not posted a total yet, but the truth is probably by the time most people hear this, there will be a total on the game up. But, yeah, Utah, as you kind of said, they're in a bubble burst situation themselves. Now, I do have a couple in my computer essentially when teams are off of their first loss, if it was a competitive game, they're not as strong as a go against. But, uh, you know, the reverse situation that USC was in last week, although, as I said, maybe not my most classic, they still are very much in a bubble burst situation. But on the flip side of that, from a betting standpoint, USC, they're 5-1 straight up and 1-5 against the spread. And I think you more or less asked me about that last week. And as I said, that's my dichotomous straight up in ATS um, angle where – if a team continues to win straight up, but they're not covering, their their power rating's not going to change quite as much because they're winning straight up. And the fact that they're one in five against the spread shows you that the odds makers continue to overrate them. So, again, it's not, you know, at the top of my list of metrics I use, but still a, a pretty strong metric essentially says you would ride that spread streak. 
And the same would be true if a team, you know, like uh, Oregon State, that's absolutely awful, but if they were covering, which they weren't. But if a bad team was losing straight up but still covering, um, we would we would bet a team in that situation. But, you know, as we follow this, as we record this, a little bit too much uncertainty. I know Deontay Burnett is questionable with a toe injury. You probably got even, you know, better uh, information than I do with your sources. But, man, he's a, you know, 41 catches, 527 yards. Yeah. So if he, yeah, if he doesn't play, uh, that would be big. Uh, a lot of people will tell you the most underrated player on a team is always the long snapper. And I know Damon Johnson is questionable with some back problems and concussion protocol. And uh, Utah, Tyler Huntley, he didn't play in that loss. He's their starting quarterback. So he's questionable probably as the week goes on. We'll have something more definitive about whether he's going to play. But in college football, they're not required to give accurate injury reports. So my guess is it'll kind of be secretive until game time, whether or not play or not but you know he's got 966 yards passing six touchdowns and uh, one interception so a lot of uncertain uh, injuries for both teams as we uh, do record this yeah a lot of guys banged up so it'll be interesting to kind of see uh just i would follow it along all week I, i'm guessing deontay burnett plays probably probably usc will be about in the same position it was against oregon state they just oregon state was so bad and made so many mistakes yeah. so that's why i think people are kind of a little worried going into this uh, Utah game. One, the one guy that did bounce back though was Sam Darnold. He had, you know, over 300 yards, three touchdowns. He did, uh, you know, fumble the ball a couple of times, losing one and had an interception, but he's still, I was asking you, I'm like, is he still in the, the Heisman race? Maybe, you know, just kind of get your thoughts on where he is now as far as the odds say about Sam Darnold and the Heisman. Yeah, he is actually um seventh at uh, mybookie.ag at plus 2000. And I was searching around a couple of the other sports books and some other sports books it's even higher i've seen as high as plus 2500 and again that's based on a hundred dollars per bet so that would be he's uh 20 to 1 at mybookie.ag so if you are a sam darnold fan and you expect him to bounce back look i think the next two weeks are pretty much make or break utah and notre dame if he has big games against both of those teams all of a sudden he's truly in the thick of the race but if not uh you know if he struggles against them and it's more along the lines of his uh, 12 touchdown and nine interception ratio than he pretty much would drop out of the race. So I do think the next two weeks are big uh, for him. But if you are a big Sam Darnold fan, uh, you can win. Uh, you know, for every dollar you bet, you can win $20 at mybookie.ag. He is a long shot, but he's not outside of the race. So Con Barkley, who I know uh, struggled a little bit in the first half of the last game, but he came through. In the second half, he is still the leader at even money than, you know, Baker Makefield. And, of course, Bryce Love uh, has more than entered the race. He's actually plus 400. So wow. we, we talked about him, of course, when uh, USC played Stanford. And I said, he, you know, last year he had some very impressive numbers in limited appearances. And now he is very much in the thick of the Heisman race. But, yeah, I think the next two weeks will tell you whether or not Sam Darnold is truly a Heisman contender or not. Joe Duffy does great work on uh, Offshore Insiders. You can follow him on Twitter, at Offshore Insider. And he's here on behalf of MyBookie.ag. Joe, thanks so much for coming on again. And I uh, look forward to you talking to you next week. Two two tough games coming up for USC, so it should be some interesting numbers. Yeah, that is for sure. And like I said, my clients still say MyBookie.ag, always paying them on time. And I look forward to talking to you next week, Ryan. Sounds good, Joe. Thanks very much. And uh, that's Joe Duffy. Thanks so much, Joe, for coming on. And all of you, thanks so much for listening to the Parastyle Podcast. And we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, 
interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 